I know, for instance, on Mother's Day, uh, you, you're supposed to preach on what? Your mothers. And I told them before, I, I tried to get real creative whenever I first started pastoring. And I said, you know, if everybody's expecting a Mother's Day sermon, I'm just going to skip that and we're just going to do a different message. Y'all, that was not a good idea. And so people expect, you know, on Mother's Day you'll preach on moms, on Father's Day, same deal. And then on you know, Independence Day, typically, I, I know for, for the way I grew up is whenever we go into the church, I mean, on Independence Day, one thing we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're just going to, we're going to talk about how, what a horrible shape our nation's in. And I, I, I agree that our nation is in need of serious revival. I mean, there is no doubt that we need God to move. We need God to bless. Uh, we all know this, the horrible statistics out there on crime, how people are, are turning away from God. So I, mean, all, I, I agree with all of that stuff. No doubt about it. I understand that we are people who are in need of God. But today I thought that I would take a different tack in, in talking about in the, the United States today, about America, about our need for God's blessings. You see, I'm actually hopeful about God doing some great things in our nation. And I'll tell you one reason why. About uh, I guess it's about a year ago, I read a book called God is Back. And it's written by two guys who write for The Economist magazine. And in the book, they had some really interesting statements. One of the things they said is that people of faith, in particular Christians, are becoming greater influencers in our world than ever before. And I read that. I got excited about it. And I started thinking, man, God can actually do something still. You know, it's not just that we are on, you know, a handbasket going, you know, straight down the pipe. We actually have an opportunity for God to bring revival into our world. Now, I, I look at that and I look at some of the things that we're going through. And there's a lot of times when I can watch news. And, y'all, I, I just show you, if you watch more than like an hour of news a day, quit doing it because it's absolutely so depressing. Then there's times I'll sit there and I'll watch and I'll sit there and think, oh, God, we are just weird. Do like, God, please, please rescue us. God, bless our nation again. But here's my thought. God has already blessed America. Do y'all know that? Now, we said that we say God bless America. We pray for God to bless our country. God, let me tell you God has blessed America. I believe that it's time for Christians to bless America now. It's our turn to do our part. It's my hope that we're going to take it upon ourselves, that we're going to take it upon ourselves as a church to be a blessing to our community, that we're going to take it upon ourselves as individuals to be a blessing to our neighbors. Now, the big question is, well, then how do we do that? Well, today in the scripture we're going to look at, we're going to see some specific things that we can do to be a blessing. Now, I know typically our prayer is God bless America. I, 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 obviously, I'm going to tell you all, keep praying that. But I believe that it's time for us to step up to the plate. To God, I, I believe you blessed us. Now, it's my turn to bless us, to bless our country as your power works through me. So if you have your Bible, you can turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verse number 1 here in just a few moments. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Just to let you know, and Paul, Paul's guy wrote this book, and who do y'all think Paul was writing to? Man, who was First Timothy? He was writing to a guy named Timothy. His name wasn't First Timothy because there's a second one. But his name is Timothy. Timothy was one of his little proteges, a pastor protege of his. He had, uh, he had sort of his mentor, but Timothy at this time was pastoring a church in Ephesus. 
Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. Now it is a tough church. It's very difficult. So Paul's writing it in order to encourage him. Uh, Timothy was preaching at a church where in the town, just to let you know that, I mean, we're talking about we need God to bless our country. In Ephesus, they had a temple to the goddess named Diana. She was the goddess of sex. Now, as you can imagine, in that town, there was a lot of sexual immorality. And this is where Timothy gets the pastor. He's like, oh my gosh, how do I compete with that? And so Paul writes this letter to him in order to encourage him. Now, I think our natural instinct is to say, hey, listen, God really needed to bless that place. You know, that place was in trouble. But as we go through our text today, we're going to see that Paul puts the responsibility of God's blessings upon this place, on the church. And I think that's really interesting. And in our society today, in our country today, I think this message still applies to us. In that we're going to see the blessings of God on our nation. You know who's going to be responsible for it? It's going to be the church. It's going to be believers putting into practice their faith. Now you might say, what, what are some things that I can do? See, one thing that we don't need to do is we don't need to sit around griping all day about what a miserable shape our country's in. We don't need to sit around griping about the condition of our political leaders. Now, you know, we can spend a lot of time doing that, but what we need to do is become involved. Say, God, how can you use me in order to make a difference in the country where I live, in the neighbors that I live near. But we're going to see a few specific things that we can do when I look at our text today. And the very first thing that you and I can do in order to bless our country, the very first thing that we can do is be committed to praying. If we're going to see change in our nation, man, it begins with prayer. Now look with me in verse number one in our text. It says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live in peaceful, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now I know it's, it's very easy for me to stand up here and talk about prayer. And I, I've discovered that it is much easier to talk about prayer than it is to actually get down on our knees and to begin to pray. Uh, now, most of us do a good job of praying whenever we're desperate, you know, whenever we're hurting. It's like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. You've got to help me now. You know, you've got to bail me out now. So a lot of us don't have problems praying then because the fact is we are to have a spirit of prayer at all times. And yet for many of us, especially, I'll say for, for me, I'm one of those guys who's, I'm, I'm like an ABCD guy. I like to do things. I told the court, a rut, to me, is great. I love to keep, so i got to get out of this rut. I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out how I can get in a rut. Because I like consistency. Now what can happen to me, though, because of that, is that prayer just becomes, you know, it just becomes something like I'm punching the clock. And I feel good about myself because I've been that rut, because I've performed my duty. I've done what I'm supposed to do. But prayer is to be much more personal than that. See, prayer is vitally important. Now, why is prayer important? Now, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. One, because it carries with it power. When we pray, we are talking to Almighty God. 
We are talking to the one who has the ability to bring about change. And when we understand that we are talking to Creator God, I really believe that prayer can become easier for us. Because we can know that prayer is being put in the hands of one who can make a difference. They may say, well, how important is prayer to be in my life? You know, what kind of priority is it to have for me? If you look back in verse number 1, I really think you find the answer there. The very first words he says in verse 1 is he says, I urge first of all. And then he talks about prayer. That right there is an indicator to me that prayer would be a priority. Wouldn't you say so? When somebody says first of all, I mean, prayer is to be a priority in our lives. It is to be something that we bring to God at the beginning. It's something that we have to take time out of our lives to do. I mean, again, think about it. Prayer is the way that we communicate with God. It's the way that we call ourselves out to Him. And we humble ourselves before Him and share our needs with Him. Now, why do we do that? Because there's power that comes with prayer. And there's something very powerful about prayer. As a matter of fact, James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man, what does it say? It says it is powerful and effective. Now, Christians, I believe there are so many blessings of God out there waiting for us, and yet we don't see so many blessings of God come true because we never ask for them. We never approach God in prayer. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus said this. He said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And then who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, what are some things that are lacking in your life? If you desire for a different situation in your workplace... Do you have family members who are ill? Maybe, maybe you're, you're praying or hoping that, that God would bring healing into their lives. Well, whatever situation it is that's in your life, here's my encouragement to you. Pray. You bring it before God. Tell God what it is that you desire. Tell God what it is that you desire to see happen. Because I believe that as you bring your request to God, that you can know with confidence that you are talking to a God who has power. Who has power. And I believe that our nation is right for spiritual awakening right now. If we take time to make prayer priority. I read about a village in Africa where people had become converts to the Lord. And, and they became very serious about prayer life. And so they would, they would get up in the mornings and leave their hut. And they would walk out to the bush in order to, to pray all by themselves. They prayed so much that what happened, I thought this was cool, that when they would leave their hut, they prayed so much that they, they bore a path from their house out into the bush. I mean, it was just, you know, just a dirt path into the path that these people walk back and forth all the time to pray. Now, whenever somebody took some time off from praying, that path would start to get overgrown with grass. And so the, the new believers, they were really concerned about the spiritual well-being of the brothers, and they would see his path, and they'd see grasses growing on it. And so they'd walk over to their, to their brother, and they'd talk to him, and they'd say, Brother, they said, we've noticed that there's grass on your path. And I started thinking, that for a lot of us, there's a whole lot of grass on our path. Now, how do we remedy that? And it's a real simple part right here. There's a remedy. Start praying. You start talking to God. So what do I pray? I mean, how do I pray? Verse number one, Paul 
tells us how to pray. He starts off by saying, you pray, first of all, by bringing your request to God. Your, your request, that's an indication. It's talking about bringing your wants to God, your needs to God. Say, God, this is what I need in my life. These are the needs I have. You bring it to God. Just bring your request to God. Now, I know there's some people, there might be some of you, and that makes me a little nervous. You know, I pray for myself. I feel like I'm being selfish. I feel like that, that I'm not supposed to do that. But if you look into the Bible, you're going to see in various places where it tells you when you pray, to pray for yourself. So don't feel guilty about praying for yourself. The Bible says you are to pray for yourself. But then he says that you're also, first of all, you pray for yourself, then he says you are to intercede for others. That word intercede means to fall in with someone. It means to get involved in someone's life. When we pray, we're to intercede for others. Now, if you're going to intercede for somebody, then you need to know them. You need to know how to pray for them. As I thought about that, I began to think, you know, how many people do I know well enough that I know how to specifically pray for them? Because if I'm really going, if you and I are really going to pray for people, we're going to pray for our neighbors, guys, we have to know them. We've got to understand where they're coming from. We have to get involved in their lives so that we'll know how to pray. Let me try to give you some, somewhat of an example. Um, we had a good church softball team. We actually had three in the, in the spring. Uh, by the way, that season's going to be starting around in August, so you might, want to, you might want to be thinking about that. But, but during softball season, we'd all get together. had a great time. I typically go to two of the three games to watch and cheer the team on. And there was one guy that I was uh, talking to, and he came to me after the game was over. He said, you know, we see each other at church all the time. We see each other at softball. You know, we really don't know each other. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. And so he said, I just like to talk to him for a little bit. So we sat down and we talked. As he talked with me, he began to share with me some things that are going on in his life. And as he began to share with me, I began to think, man, I would have never done this had I not taken time to get to know this guy. So after he talked to me, we just sat down and I was able to specifically pray for some of the needs that he had in his life. And it reminded me of a couple of things concerning our, our nation. I, I began to realize that if our nation is going to change, if our neighborhoods are going to change, if our friends are going to change, it's going to require you and me getting involved with people. How excited does that sound to y'all? Some of you think, man, I just want to go and watch television. Well, it says that if we're going to see change, we have to get down and do it. We have to understand who people are. We have to care about them. Know who they are. That's why in our church, I, I get excited whenever I look at some of the things that are happening in our church. I've I, I shared with y'all before with a lady in our church named Michelle James, who's involved in an inner city ministry in downtown Columbia. I get excited when I see what she's doing. I get excited whenever I see some of the events that take place in our church. I see you out serving people. I get excited whenever I go to our high school football games and I see the men in our church who are standing on the sidelines running first down markers to minister to the school. And I see some of the ladies in our church in one of our small group ministries who are feeding the football players at the high school. And you know, what, what, an exciting, what an exciting thing to see people involved in other people's lives. I'm amazed when I find out that most people come into our church because you invited them. Because you brought them. That's whenever I see those things, I think that is how you discover who people are and how you can begin to pray for people. 
So we can see change. So what, what is something specifically that I can do, that you can do, in order to bless America? The very, very first thing that I see is it starts with me praying. To be a person of prayer, to be committed to prayer. But the second thing that I can do in order to be a blessing to America is to live righteously. To live a life that's going to honor God. Now look with me in verse number 2. It says it's for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You know, one thing that is a big turnoff to people is when they see somebody or hear somebody say one thing and yet live in a completely different way. We call that person a hypocrite. And the word hypocrite, it is a Greek word that means to put on a mask. It means to try to pretend or to pretend to be something or somebody that you're really not. I'd say one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian faith is all these people who go out there and talk about their relationship with God and then and they just let they live like everybody else does. People look at it and think, that's crazy. Why would I want to live like that guy? He talks about Jesus in his life and doesn't look anything like Jesus. He told you before, behind the gun, he said, I like the Christ, I don't like your Christians. Now Paul teaches us the importance of prayer, but he tells us, he tells us not just about what you pray, he says, man, it's also important how you live. It's important how you conduct yourself. Now, why is that? There's an old saying. Actions speak louder than words. So how are we to live? We're not just to talk this talk. So how are we praying for you? We've got to live it. So how am I supposed to live? Well, Paul says we are to live peaceful, quiet, and godly lives. Now, I know some of you think I am not a peaceful, quiet person. Uh, some of you people, y'all are a lot of fun to be around. Man, you just obnoxious as can be. But you're fun to be around. Does he say don't be fun or anything like that? So he's talking about. So you don't want to be a disturbance. You don't want to draw attention away from Christ. You don't draw attention away from your faith because you're a person who is living in order to get attention just for yourselves. He says you are to live a peaceful and quiet life. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this. It says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands. What is that talking about? It means having the Spirit of Christ where we see other people not as our enemies, but as people that we desire to come into contact with God. And we don't want to do anything that would keep them from discovering Jesus. So don't be obnoxious where you turn people off from Christ. So be a hard worker, be diligent, and live in such a way that you're not going to turn that person away from Christ. Say, so as you live your life and you see people who don't live like you, who might not follow our faith. Don't be vengeful towards that person. Don't lash out towards that person. Don't do anything to move them away from Jesus. But demonstrate by your living that you are like Jesus. President Abraham Lincoln and a man were, were not agreeing on a policy issue. And they were, they were having some problems working it out. And it was obvious that, that Lincoln's view was correct on this one issue. But the man wouldn't admit it. He's kind of hard-headed, and so he just kept fighting with him. And finally, uh, President Lincoln said, let me ask you a question. He said, how many legs does a cow have? 
And the guys look at him, what does this have to do with anything? He's like, well, it's got four legs. He's like, let's say that we call the tail a leg. How many legs does a cow have? He said, well, if you do that, it's got five. He said, well, that's where you're incorrect. He said, just because I call that tail a leg, doesn't mean that it's a leg. Now, folks, just because some people, just because maybe even some of us might call ourselves a believer, doesn't necessarily mean that we are. The way that you determine if you are a follower of God, the great way to find that out is to examine your actions. To examine how you live your life. And that's why I want to encourage you to examine who you are, to examine how you live your life. Because you see, if we're going to bless America, it begins with us being consistent and being committed to praying. If we're going to see America blessed, it's going to require us to live righteously. Not just talk about it, to live it. And here's the last thing I want you to see. The final thing that you and I can do to bless America is to share the hope that we have in Jesus. To share. Look at verses 3 and 4. last two verses I'm going to read. It says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our nation is desperately looking for hope. You know, we're getting ready to go to this new election cycle. I'm always amazed. I think people start campaigning like three years out for political office. And so you're going to hear all these candidates come out, Democrats, Republicans. If you, if you vote for me, my policies and my parties are going to do this to remedy the problems in America, to change society, all that stuff. Now, I, I think we ought to be engaged in politics. But guys, let me tell you something. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. If you're looking for the deepest ills of our nation to be healed, it will not happen with a Democrat or a Republican. And I think most of us have figured that out by now. Who can change that? Who can really heal us as a nation? It's not our politics. Guys, it's our God. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're told in verse number 4, it says, God wants all of us to be saved. He wants all of us to be saved. That word saved means to rescue one from danger or destruction. Do you think our nation needs to be rescued from, from danger? I mean, are we on a path of destruction right now? I am totally amazed at where we are as a nation. Y'all, we need to be rescued. Who can rescue us? According to our text, it's Jesus. The Bible is very clear that if we refuse to follow after Jesus, that we are on a road to destruction. If we refuse to acknowledge God, we are on a path to destruction. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is the only life preserver that we have in this whole big ocean. He's our only chance. He's the only hope that we've got. Now I said, well, then who is the salvation available to? If you look back in verse number 4, it says it's available, it says to all men. Now, does that mean that all people are going to be in heaven? Are going to be right with God? Unfortunately, that's not what it means. It means that God provides us, He provides all people with the opportunity to accept or to reject Jesus. All people have that opportunity. God offers it to all of us. We get to choose. 
In John 3.16, you might know that verse says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now here's the deal. Jesus died on the cross that He might draw all men to salvation. All men. Now that, that doesn't mean all people without exception. It means all people without distinction. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. That night, if you're rich or poor, everybody will have the opportunity to experience the saving grace of God. Doesn't matter who you are. God offers and extends that to you. You get to choose that. And if you choose Jesus, the Bible says he will save you from destruction. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's freedom. Now, we celebrate freedom this weekend. It's interesting to me how many of us are, are looking forward to freedom. We, we want financial freedom. We want our country to have freedom. Personally, we want more freedoms to do what we want. We have all these different ideas about freedom, and yet so many of us are living in spiritual bondage. In the church, we have a responsibility for our nation to be blessed. It's our responsibility to share with people the good news of Jesus. Romans 10, 14 and 15 is a reminder to me of this. It says, how then can they call the one of whom they not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now my guess is we're all going to sit here and say, we desire God to bless America. Let me tell you something. God has been blessing them. He's blessing us now. But if we're going to see our nation continue to experience the blessings of God, it will require the church to live in such a way that we will bless this nation. God's blessings. It's our turn. How do we do that? Well, be committed to praying. Christians live righteously and share the hope that we have in Jesus. The blessing of our nation begins with followers of Jesus. It begins with us putting our faith in practice. It begins with us caring enough to be willing to share who Jesus is. And as we close up the service, I think one of the most appropriate things that we can do is just simply right where we're sitting and say, we're going to pray. And I want you to pray that God will use you to be a blessing to your neighbor. I want you to pray that God will use this church to be a blessing to this community. And I want you to pray that, that you will be willing to get involved in people's lives so that you'll know how to pray for them. That's our nation's already been blessed by Jesus. When we bless, it's our turn. The power of Jesus working through us, it is our turn to bless our nation. It's back for a word of prayer.